Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 40, reading through the end of the chapter, this is the word of the living God. Let's give attention to it this morning. Mark 1, beginning with verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Amen. Let's pause and ask for God's help as we consider not a complicated passage, but as we consider it in its preaching of it this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we Look again and turn to your word as we sit under it, as it's read and especially proclaimed. We would ask that you would indeed instruct us by your spirit, that we would behold something of the glory of Christ as he ministered out of a heart of great pity and compassion to this most unlikely man. We pray, Lord, that you would help us see and you'd help us hear, and then we would do that which we hear. We ask for Christ's sake. <clears throat> Amen. Children, perhaps you enjoy going for walks, maybe with your parents. Maybe you have been out on a number of walks with your parents from time to time. And maybe on one of those walks there, you have come across or have seen an animal, maybe a dog or a cat that is in some sense, some way infirmed or maybe hurt or wounded. Maybe it got hit by a passing car and left there. Whatever the case may be, you see it and you, of course, you have a, a certain response, don't you? you? You take pity upon it. You look at it with eyes of of compassion and care. And so what do you want to do, of course, naturally? You, you want to scoop it up. You want to bring it home with you. You want to tend to it. You want to care for it. You want to show forth. You want to act out that which is already in your heart. Well, in much the same way, in this passage before you this morning, we have just that event. And while there's many different theologically charged elements within the words that Mark chooses here in this particular juncture of his gospel record, uh, I'm going to show you and want to show you the, the focus at least, and that is that the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was walking this earth, looked down upon you, the wounded, maimed, indeed, tragically ill, almost dead person, and it had compassion on your soul. It's highlighted for us, of course, in the life of the leper, a disease and illness that I'll deal with in just a few minutes. But it's highlighted in the actions of Christ given to the most unlikely of people. And when we think about 
the actions of Christ and we seek to see something of the glory of Christ, if you have indeed by faith, as we noted already in the very first sermon uh, through this series, that in order for us to see something of the glory of Christ in this life, we must behold it by faith. If you have by faith beheld the glory of Christ in some way, shape, and form, then you will readily understand and in fact see yourself in this passage. You will see yourself as a recipient of the very nature of Christ as displayed in His compassion to you. Now when you think about Christ and His actions... The first thing that should come to mind immediately is that Jesus did not simply profess to be one who cared about the souls of men. He didn't just merely profess to be a compassionate Savior, but he demonstrates it, doesn't he? He acts on his compassion. The heart of the Savior for you and for me works in such a way that it does or it accomplishes what compassion begins. It ends with the resolution. That, of course, for you and for me, that compassion displayed by the Savior as He sees poor, helpless sinners, He doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just say to you, you're a sinner, I'm sorry you're a sinner, and I'll see you later, have a nice day. No, no, He goes further than that, and what does He do? Well, He shows that He loves His people. All of it's here. In this picture, this illustration that Mark gives in these verses for us. Now the context of the passage, really, it's very early in the gospel account. Jesus has just come out of his baptism. He's been laboring, preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he is moving about doing what he has been called to do. And one of the main things he was called to do was to do miracles. No, No, yes, he did that, but that wasn't the main thing he was called to do. The main thing he was called to do, one of the main things he was called to do was to preach the gospel, preach the kingdom, preach his father's kingdom. That's what he's doing. That's what he's involving himself to do. And even in this passage, he's on his way to do. When this suddenly striking event shows up right there on the road in which he is walking, in which... Mark highlights for us, then, the very compassionate nature of Christ. And so with God's help this morning, I want to show you that our Lord and Savior is indeed compassion. I want to show you the glory of Christ as the compassionate Savior for sinners. Not one who just simply says it, but one who does it, acts on it. I want to show you the glory of Christ as the compassionate Savior for sinners and one who not only says it, says he is, but one who actually does what compassion requires. That which is shown in the life of the leper, but really, as I'm going to show you in a minute, that leper is you and me. Three points as we consider this passage. First, the compassion of Christ sought. And then we'll notice the compassion of Christ demonstrated. And then, well, sadly, (laughs) the compassion of Christ ignored. The compassion of Christ sought, given to us 
in the efforts of this leper here in this passage, and then the compassion of Christ demonstrated the actions that Jesus took to show forth his heart for this man, and then the compassion of Christ that was sadly ignored but ought not be ignored by anyone who has received the compassion, not of a pastor or an elder, but the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let's first consider the seeking or the compassion of Christ sought by this leper. We notice right away in verse 40, Mark jumps right in, as Mark was wont to do. That's what he does. That's the whole threat. The whole tenor of Mark's gospel is very rapid moving. And he says there, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. What do we notice about the man immediately in this narrative, in these verses that are given? Well, we note something of the physical condition of the man. It's not accidental, of course. Mark didn't write, a blind man came to Jesus, a lame man came to Jesus, A person who had consistent headaches came to Jesus. Someone who suffers from all sorts, no, a leper. A leper. We know this is a physical issue. It's a disease of the skin. And and of course, commentators are often divided as to exactly what leprosy is. It's not easy to pin down, frankly, because it's sort of an umbrella term for many different types of issues and skin maladies that affect the body. So just quoting from one source anyway as to what this this condition is, he notes that it's a generic term applied to a variety of skin disorders from psoriasis to true leprosy itself. Its symptoms range from white patches on the skin to running sores to the loss of digits and the fingers and toes. For the Hebrews, it was a dreaded malady which rendered its victims ceremonially unclean. Now, underscore that. Keep that in your mind. Keep that front and center. We work our way through this passage. A dreaded malady which rendered its victim ceremonially unclean, that is, unfit to worship God. Hmm. Anyone who came into contact with a leper was also considered unclean. Keep that in your mind. Therefore, lepers were isolated from the rest of the community so that the members of the community could maintain their status as worshipers. This man's a leper. Physically so, visibly so, perhaps. We don't know the duration of the leprosy. We have absolutely no idea how long he was a leper, maybe from birth, maybe for a few days. Whatever the case may be, it seems, based on his, his, uh, his um, urgency in the equation, the matter, that this is something that he's been suffering under for quite some time. He is, first we consider the physical effects of this poor man, this poor soul, he is a social outcast. 
different than a man who was blind, perhaps, different than even a man who may have been lame or having some other disease of some nature. This man is indeed, according to Old Testament law, he is a social outcast. He is not to be regarded as part of the community of the saints, the believers. He's not to be around them. He's not to be around anybody, actually. Imagine what it must have been like to live that way, alone, cut off from the ordinary means of grace that God gives to his church, to his covenant people. We know that this is a problem. It dates itself all the way back, and Jesus, of course, is plainly aware of what Moses penned in Leviticus 13. All the way back there in Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46, we read, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall uncover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. I'd like to be that guy. I'd like to be the guy that has to go through town and he looks kind of ragged. I can't taken a shower in a while. His hair's hanging down. His, all this stuff's going on. That's all fine and good. But then as you approach various people, you've got to utter these very embarrassing words. Unclean, unclean. Don't come near me, other words. I'm, I'm, I'm unclean. Can you imagine living this way? Imagine if you had to walk through the streets of Evansville and you had to proclaim to them something like, I have AIDS. Back in the 80s when I was finishing up high school, this is when the HIV epidemic broke out in our country. Now, I know a little bit about HIV. I was required to take numerous classes because of the retail industry about it. And I can tell you, when it first happened, there was a lot of unrest. There was a lot of unknown aspects and features of it. And as a result of this, if you were identified as one who possessed the HIV, the virus that produces AIDS, by the way, people were afraid of you. Why? Just for being in the same room or using the same public bathroom, breathing the same air. Nobody knew. Nobody understood. People with that illness, with that virus, they were considered social outcasts, like this leper. A social outcast in the world, in the community around him. No friends, no family can be near him. And make matters worse, he's got to utter these embarrassing terms constantly, regularly. I'm unclean. You want to be him? It's a social outcast. It's a horrible situation. Second, it's really a sign of divine judgment. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 10, it states it as much. Now, we don't know exactly whether or not this is, in fact, the divine judgment upon the man. We don't know anything about the man. Notice the man is never named. We probably never meet him again in the entirety of the Bible. But as one commentator makes it so plain, it was often used as an act of divine judgment. One only has to think of Numbers chapter 12. You remember the story? Moses, the servant of the Lord, is there, and his sister, of all people, begins to grumble about him, to him. And Aaron, of course, he chimes in too. You know, misery loves company. And what happens to Miriam? 
Well, Jehovah has a meeting at the principal's office with the three of them. And Miriam is struck down with what? Leprosy. Judgment. Why? For attacking the servant of the Lord. But what is often missed and has bearing on this passage is that Aaron was not. Miriam, yes. Aaron, not. They both sinned, the same sin. Why was Aaron spared? Because he was the high priest. Can't have an unclean high priest. Then you have no atonement. You have no sacrifices. You got bigger problems than Miriam's griping. But Miriam is indeed judged by God with leprosy. These are the physical issues that this man carries. You want to be him? Can't imagine what it must have been like to go from place to place, town to town, life at day after day, living with this dreaded illness, disease, friendless, familyless, churchless. He's just less in every way. But there's also here a spiritual element to the man. is isn't just that this is a physical problem and it's horrible, and it is, it's all that indeed, but there's also a spiritual aspect to the man itself, noted by the actions of the leper. What does he do? Which has led me to be convinced that this man was probably, more than likely, one who knew the Savior in some way and by faith and believed. Had heard of him somehow. Certainly. Why would he? He must have. Because he understands that he needs to get to him. If he's going to be resolved to these problems, the only one that can do it is Christ. What does Mark tell us right there in the opening words of the passage? And this leper came to him, notice, imploring him. Doesn't sound like to me that this leper thought this problem was like the common cold. A great burden was upon him. He's imploring and uh, he's kneeling. We talked a little bit about posture and prayer and uh, Sunday school, but this is the subject is it's prayer, isn't it? it? Isn't this what this leper is doing? Is he not praying? Maybe not the way you pray. We don't exactly know everything he said. We do know what he did say, but Mark doesn't tell us everything that he said. But he does tell us first that he was imploring him. And I wonder, you know, as we, as we think and consider our own prayer lives and the numerous burdens that we have, of which leprosy is not one of them, and you're thankful for that probably, but it may be something else. Do you pray this way? Do you pray like it's life and death? 
He implores, notice the object of his imploring is it's not a stick or a pole or some dead God who can't do anything. He's, he's praying to the living and true God, the Son of God, who he has heard and, and I'm convinced, believed. He's praying in a way that most of us don't, and we can learn from this unnamed, unknown man. If you go to Luke's gospel, and you don't have to if you don't want to, but that is entirely up to you, Luke chapter 18. Again, an event that takes place. It's a parable this time. It's not a true story necessarily. It's a parable that Jesus uses as a story to to really uh, illustrate the very actions of the leper in Mark 1. Luke 18 and verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray, not lose heart. Well, I guess I know what the subject's going to be. You know, Jesus was the perfect preacher, you know. He always got his point across right up front sometimes and wasn't really lost on you. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, pause, it's a godless man. He's not a believer. He's an unjust judge, if you will. Neither I fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. We all know people like that. They pester and 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 they... And and finally, you just give them what they want. Why? Because you're tired of it. You might not want to give it to them, but you do to silence them. Children are really good at this. Mom and dad, you know what that's like. Don't keep pestering me. But eventually they wear you down. You know, they're good at this. Well, that's, I'm using that as a pejorative, obviously. Jesus is not using it that way. But the judge sees it that way, doesn't he? Ah, she's bugging me. Verse 6, and the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is describing here, amongst many different things, but one of the things he's certainly describing in the parable of Luke, uh, of Luke, um, Luke 18 is perseverance. The leper's persevering. Number one, he really shouldn't have been there in the first place. He's not supposed to be around people. I don't see anything about being unclean, unclean here. Perhaps he said that, we don't know. But I do know that he's imploring, he's begging, he's pleading, he's persevering. He's not just simply whispering, oh, Jesus, if you can help me, I'd really appreciate it. But if not, it's okay, don't worry about it. Move on about your business. Oh, no. There was an urgency rooted in the idea that only Christ, the high priest, can resolve him of the problem. Second, 
not only is he imploring, but notice his posture. He's kneeling. Now, again, it's not prescriptive. This is by no means an argument that says you must kneel whenever you pray. It's not here. Anybody who says that that's what that says can't read. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Kneeling is good. If you want to kneel when you pray, by all means, kneel. Make sure your heart's kneeling with you, though. But he is. Why? Because he knows to whom he speaks. We don't typically kneel before, some, before someone we consider an equal or beneath us. We kneel before someone we respect and revere, someone we hold in high esteem or adoration. The leper has seen something of the glory of Christ somewhere, somehow, either heard about him and communicated to him. He knows to whom he's talking to. He's not talking to Joe Schmo over here on the street. He's talking to the Lord of glory, and he knows it. And there's a posture of humility that this man demonstrates. And when we, of course, seek the help of Christ, we, we must come. We must come boldly, as we've learned from Hebrews 4, but we must come humbly as well. There are many things that we can plead with the God of heaven for and know for certain that he will do it because he said he would. And there are many things that we plead with the God of heaven for that we do not know what he will or will not do. There must be humility about our approach to this Savior. Isn't that the way all of us have come to know the Savior in the first place? You were humbled by the Spirit of God to acknowledge Him as Lord. I can assure you if that's If Christ is your Savior this morning, that's precisely how it happened. You may not know all the ins and outs of that, but your heart was humbled in such a way that you recognized your need, not of yourself, because that wasn't going to help, but of someone else. This one, Christ. So he comes with this attitude of urgency, imploring, begging, but also with an attitude of humility. An attitude that says, as we say so often here, thy will be done. Doesn't he say that? He says that. If you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can eliminate this horrible malady that I've been experiencing that's left me cut off from the church and left me cut off from the world and left me friendless and familyless, left me pretty much a social outcast in every respect, left me miserable as a human being. You can, if, you're, if you want to, Lord, you can do it. This is really the prayer of faith. Believing. Why else would he be there if he didn't believe? That this Savior that he's heard about, this Lord, can do this work. Well, so much the man. He's really not the center of the story, although he's important to the story. What do we learn from him then? 
Well, he's helpless. He's been living a helpless life. He's an outcast of society. He's no family, no friends. Well, what is Jesus going to say to this guy? What would you say? Children, what do, what do you say? What do you think? What do you do when you see a helpless creature on the side of the road? How do you respond? Do you just walk on by and don't have a care in the world? Maybe you do. Does your heart go out to them, that expression that we hear many times? Does it move you at all? What's Jesus going to do? Well, we don't have to wonder, right? We don't even need a preacher. It's right here. Verse 41. Here's the answer. Moved. The ESV renders the word there in the Greek as pity, but it's really better translated compassion. There are similar terms, I guess, but we know what compassion is. It's identifying in some sense with the plight of other people. Our hearts ache, as it were, for them. There's an emotion, isn't it? He's moved, where? In the innermost being of his soul. He responds out of this, this heart that is compassionate towards this poor man. Moved with pity or compassion, he said to the leper, I'm really sorry about your situation. I got other things to do today. Got to go. Surely there's a doctor close by. You can talk to him. None of these things happen, of course. He's moved with, comp- with compassion and he acts on it. It's helpful and One book I was reading on this passage, which really, I think, with great insight, gives to us the very movements of Christ that shows he really loves this man. First, what does he do? Well, he's willing to be interrupted. He's willing to be interrupted. No, no, no why, why, why is that even mentioned anyway? Maybe you think I'm uh, violating the text in some way by saying that. It just sounds good. It preaches, right? No. Notice what's going on before this event even takes place with the leper. Verse 35, chapter 1. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And so that's what he's doing. He's moving from one town to another. His mission is to preach the kingdom of God. That's, that's what he's doing. He's, he's zealous to do that. He's going to do that. And then here comes this, this unlikely candidate, this man who shouldn't be there. You can almost see him peeking around the trees and sneaking up on him. And who knows how it all unfolded. All we know is that this voice shows up. 
Jesus doesn't know who he is, as it were. And he stops. And he listens. In other words, the, 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 the need to go preach can, can wait for a second. He was willing to be interrupted from his mission at this very moment that he might give his undivided attention to the man who was hurting. He didn't just say, oh, I love you. I'm, I'm sorry for you. I really, my heart breaks for you. Got to go. That's what we do. That's not what Jesus does. He was willing to let this man, who shouldn't even be there, interrupt him for a moment or two or whatever it was. Second, not only is he willing to be interrupted, he's, he's definitely willing to be misunderstood. What? Yeah. Remember I said to you, keep that in your thought in your head, maintain that thought that anybody who touches an unclean thing, a leper uh, himself will be unclean. Remember I told you to hold that in your head now. Now I'm going to tell you why I said that. He, he, as the Lord of glory, was willing to be misunderstood by the people around him. Now, look, he wasn't there by himself with just a leper. It wasn't like a one-on-one experience. There were certainly people there, disciples undoubtedly. And what does the text tell us? Move with pity, a heart full of compassion, love for this man. He acts on it, doesn't he? he? He stretches out his hand, and what does he do? He does what you never should do. A leper should not be touched. And the people, well, they know the law, don't they? They think, are you crazy? What are you doing? But he puts his hand on them. That human contact, that recognition that he as, and here it is, as that exception to the reality of becoming unclean by touching a leper because he himself, like Aaron could not be contaminated by by this disease. He is the high priest. He is the great high priest. He's not worried about being unclean, but the people don't know this, do they? And they see him act in this way against this unlikely character, this unnamed person, and they're probably aghast. But Jesus isn't worried about it because his attention is on him only. His attention is fixated only on the need of this leper. That's it. He is acting on his heart filled with love for him, compassion for him. And he places it all in his identifying with him by simply touching him. But it's not all he does. He just put his hand on his shoulder, that human contact that many crave and need. When I was in seminary, I had a friend that, I don't know what his issue was. I hope he's listening. (laughs) He could laugh. It's okay. I know we're Presbyterians, but that's right. I forgot. You guys don't laugh. At least not at mine. Okay. 
But he had this, this need to hug me every time he saw me. He'd walk up to me, Bill, I think you need a hug. I'm like, no, no, actually, I don't. <laughs> it was his way of expressing love for me and his kind heart, and he was that kind of man. I think he gave me back trouble, but be that as it may, <laughs> Jesus touches him. There's a mono mono identification going on between the leper and the Son of God. That's not all he does, does he? Talks to him, too. Gives him time. Has a conversation with him. I don't know what they talked about, but we know he talked to him. Because he says, in response to the imploring nature of the leper, I will. He speaks. He answers his prayer in the affirmative. He talks. He speaks to him. And he cleanses him. Not healed. Leprosy doesn't get healed, by the way. It gets cleansed. That's a theological point for another day. But he does receive the cleansing that he asked for. Imagine how this man must, how he must have felt. Who knows how long he's been suffering under this illness, and here he is communicating with the great high priest of heaven and earth. He knows something about him. He's seen something about his glory. He knows that he's the only solution to his problem. He comes and imploring and begging and kneeling and all of this, and Jesus touches him. What? What are you doing? Speaks to him. Nobody's spoken to me in years. And he cleanses him. I, don't, I can't imagine what must be going through his head at this point. But he is a man who's experienced the very compassion of Christ. This is what Jesus does for you and me. You know, you're the leper. I told you there was a point. The hammer falls. You're not above this leper in this passage. Brothers and sisters, you are him. I suspect that's one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit left it generic. No name. So preachers like me can apply it right to you. You're the leper. You knew your need of Christ. What did you want? His judgment? Did you want his fairness? Did you go to him and say, treat me as I deserve? Oh, no. No, no. You, you wanted to be cleansed. You wanted to be relieved of that which has burdened you since the day you were conceived. And in such, Jesus sympathizes with you. That compassion that is part of what drove the Savior to earth. He sympathizes with his struggling people. He sympathizes with sinners. He sympathizes with the, the maligned and the outcasts and the social, all of it. He does it in one movement with this one man. He sympathizes. He identifies by that touch of his hand against the shoulder or the back or the chair, wherever it was, pat him on the head. I don't know what he did. He, I know he touched him. That's all I know. Uh, 
but in that he identified with him. And that he identifies with you and me out of a heart of compassion. Us that hurt and struggle, suffering people. He who suffered in all ways that we do. He hurt. He was tempted. He knew pain and sorrow. He knew what awaited him. And all that flows right out of his heart of compassion to this man. But really to you. In an act of great compassion, he doesn't just leave the needy of his church to themselves. What does he do? Well, he continues to labor and minister. Sends to his father. He gives good gifts to men. He gives elders to the church that they might shepherd the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his compassion may be displayed through them to others. This is one of the functions, in fact, one of the roles and purposes of under-shepherds in the church. Let me apply it to those of you who are and those of you who think they want to be. First, are you willing to be interrupted for the sake of the people? Look, I understand that people can take advantage of your time, and you have to manage that well. Don't I know? If you allow it to happen, it will consume every ounce of your day. That can't happen either. But there are some needs that are great and some needs that are important and they need to be responded to immediately. Are you willing to put down the pen long enough to meet the need of the person? Second, are you willing to speak with them? Are you willing to have conversation? Are you willing to counsel? Are you willing to deal with these things in a way that's appropriate? Again, there has to be boundaries. There has to be limits. Jesus didn't spend 14 days with this man on this road. He moved on to the next town and preached the gospel and kept going. Never hear from this man again. These things are necessary if we're going to faithfully shepherd the church as Jesus did. If we're going to do it, we have to have the same heart that he has. Now, I know what you're thinking, brothers, the two that are in this room. Who's sufficient for these things? Exactly. If that's what you're thinking, congratulations, you should be. I'm not either. What do I do? Quit. No, that's not the answer. Pray for the compassionate heart of Christ to be born in me. How else am I going to do it? More spirit and heart of compassion, the glory of Christ and His compassion is then displayed in the lives of the church in real living color in three-dimensional ways. You would think, of course, that people in the church who experience an imperfect compassion, and you do, sorry, I hate to disappoint you, but my compassion for you is not perfect. But you would think a man like this leper who experienced perfect compassion from the perfect Savior, who loved him as though he was the only person on that road that day, you would think this man would be real quick to do what he's told. Wouldn't you? Actually, never mind. But what does he do? What does Jesus tell him to do? 
Well, sadly, uh, this story doesn't end real well. Because this compassion that Christ gave to him, the outworking of it was ignored. Jesus certainly knew that was going to happen, which only heightens the fact that he was compassionate to the core, knowing that he was not going to obey what he told him to do, but he still showed his heart anyway. How hard that is, isn't it? But he does. What does this man do? Well, he ignores it. Christ gives him a directive. I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs of the directive. The fact of the matter is, Jesus told him to do something, and he didn't do it. Isn't that what happens? Go show yourself to Moses in keeping with the law. Jesus isn't above the law. And so he follows it, the Mosaic Code. He tells him what to do according to the Mosaic instructions and Highlighting for us that Jesus himself even recognized the importance of the Bible. I know it's, I'm using that word loosely, but he understood the importance of the Word of God. And he gives to him the instructions that we find in Leviticus 14. He says, go show yourself to the priest. That it might be declared, that is, to show as proof that what I've done for you as the great high priest has what? Resolved the problem that you came asking for help for in the first place that I gladly gave you out of a heart of compassion. Now, this is not a terribly complicated directive, but he gives it anyway. And you would think if one who's received such tremendous compassion on a burden that can never be lifted by any human, ma- human being would gladly skip along singing doo-dah all the way to the priest's house. But that's not what happens, is it? And in fact, the very opposite happens. Instead of doing what Jesus told them, he does the opposite. And in some sense, he even hinders the ministry of Christ. I almost got myself in trouble when I was licensed to preach all the way back in the day when I said that about this text. I still believe it because that's what it says. It was because of his disobedience, as one who received such great compassion from the Savior, What does Mark say? So much so that he could no longer openly enter a town, but it was out in desolate places. He hindered because of his disobedience. You would think the opposite would be true about him. But instead, he doesn't do what he's told. And as a result, Christ's ministry is hindered in some way. Now, I can make a lot of applications out of that point, but I'm going to stick to my outline so I don't get myself in trouble. Jesus issues to him a requirement. Hey, look, I've shown you great compassion. I've shown you great love. I've done what you've asked me to do. I've rescued you from this lifelong, whatever it is, malady that you've labored under as a social outcast, a physical everything. I've done this for you. Not out of duty, 
but out of a heart moved by you and your condition. Will you not then do what I tell you? How often, brothers and sisters, do we look just like this leper? You know Christ today. You've received his compassion. There's no question about that. If you know him, that is why you do. That is the only reason you do. You should be singing doodah to whatever he tells you with joy in your heart, out of gladness because of what Christ has accomplished. We know the, the, the story, don't we? Either we struggle and we do, and I do. Or we just don't care and act as though it didn't matter. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You love because I first loved you. You should do what I tell you because I was first compassionate to you. It's not what he does, and sadly, it's often the mark of us as people. Messy. I always listen. I don't always listen. You have to be rebuked sometimes. You have to be shown, look, this is what Jesus has done for you. Look at the heart of compassion he's got for you. Why are you so resilient to listening to him? Parents, you know what that's like. You love your children. You love them in a way I can't love. I, I can't. But you love them in a way that nobody else can love them. Has even the ability to love them. Doesn't it break your heart when they don't listen to you? Doesn't it grieve you when you tell them to clean their, go clean your room and they tell you no? After you fed them and clothed them and gave them a roof and all the other things you do for them and then they don't listen? You've got to imagine that the Savior was grieved. He's grieved at us when we don't listen to him as those who have received this compassion. But also, not only for the followers of Christ, but for the under-shepherds of Christ, we, we've been given this task, just like Christ, to care for and watch over the souls of people, and we must. We must have the same heart that Jesus has. The original sermon of this text began not with the story of a wounded animal on the side of the road, but began with a very troubling story of a man who just came back from the war. He was in that godless state of California. That was tongue-in-cheek. I kind of forget where I am. And his parents were in Boston high affluent type society, you know, upper muckety-muck, you know, snobs of the world. Man gets off the boat, calls his mom. Hey, I'd like to come home and bring a buddy with me. Okay, a few days, no problem. Yeah, but no, well, you got to understand something, mom. Look, here's the deal. He's maimed. What does that mean, son? It means he's got one eye and one arm and one leg. He's a mess, physically. Well, I don't know. What are people going to think, the mother says? The neighbors might think. 
what will my friends at the bridge club and the whatever they do, what will they think? Batty hangs up the phone. She hangs up the phone. A few days later, a few hours later, the police department in California called the mother in Boston, said, hey, look, we got a body here. Pretty sure it's your son. You see, the son was the one he was describing. He was the main, the disfigured, the broken, the ruined. The woman had no compassion. None. You see, you were the maimed, and the disfigured, and the ruined, and the wrecked. Christ didn't hang up the phone on you. He was moved with pity for your soul. He embraced you. He touched you. He spoke with you. He speaks to you now every day, every Lord's Day. He's a Savior that is all compassionate towards the most broken of people. If you know him this morning, then that's your Savior. He won't turn you aside. He won't walk away. He'll talk to you, as it were. He'll listen. He loves his people. From the inside out, he has a great heart for the souls of men. How do we respond? How do you respond then? It's, it's not hard. It's thankfulness, gratitude, praise, yes, all those things. I guess I was taught to say that when I was in seminary. But really, here's the thing. You want to honor your Lord who's all compassionate? Don't do what the leper did. Do what he tells you. Be faithful to what he says. Do it out of gratitude. Look what he's given me. I didn't deserve a thing. He gave me what I didn't deserve. He gave me his heart. And as such, I'm going to respond to live faithfully for him with all of its weakness and all of its failures. I'm still going to do it because he alone is worthy. And so we turn and we look to him. Humbled like the leper. Thankful for his heart to rescue us from misery. Amen. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And again, we contemplate anew that which we know. That you, our Savior, are also kind to sinful people. We can't even begin to describe, I don't think, a heart of the Savior who was indeed the Creator and the Son of God who would condescend so lowly, so low, to rescue a leper, to rescue us. May you help us, may you give to us a heart of gratitude for you and a life of obedience and joy for all that you've done.
We ask and pray for Christ's sake. Amen.